0: Welcome to the Exploring the Core podcast. I'm your host, Greg Mullen. In this third episode, I'll be sharing two conversations with two educators who are leaders of their own self-directed learning environments for elementary age learners up through middle school and even high school. But there's something different I'll be doing in this episode. I'll be sharing segments of both conversations at the same time in order to highlight elements of a framework, which I'm also really excited to share with you because it's a framework that represents a critical layer to understanding who we are and how we learn. This layer, or framework, is a series of elements that I believe are important for understanding what makes a learning environment what it is. Things like philosophy, norms and traditions, government, and structural relationships, which are just four of the seven elements in this framework. And I'm happy to go into more detail about all of the elements, but I think it might actually be more helpful if I highlighted just these first four elements through actual examples from innovative leaders in education today. And so I'm excited to introduce two such leaders, Cassie and Megan, and share segments of my conversations with each of them about their self-directed learning environments. Cassie Clausen is the executive director for The Open School, a K-12 self-directed democratic school in Santa Ana, California.
1: Hello. Hi. Nice to see you.
0: Megan Greco is the lead mentor for Petals Learning Community, a homeschool collective and an early-stage agile learning center in Topanga Canyon, California.
2: (laughs) How are you, Greg?
0: My conversations with both Cassie and Megan covered a variety of topics, including their own experience with conventional schooling and their own personal journey toward discovering self-directed learning. This taps into the first element I'd like to explore, the philosophy element, the reasoning and rationale for the beliefs we hold, especially for educators about their learning environment. So here's Cassie at the open school, speaking about her past experience in traditional school and what led her to discover self-directed learning.
1: So for me, I came from a, a pretty traditional education background. I was in education. I have a master's in education. And I, I taught at a school that was a private prep school, college prep school, very academic focused. And at the same time that I was getting my master's and there were so many, I remembered my philosophy of education class and learning about Dewey and Montessori and Um, And then A.S. Neal from Severn Hill being sort of the big aha moment, but reading about these incredible educational philosophers and then seeing such a huge contrast in the conventional schooling, just, it it just started that kind of cognitive dissonance as a teacher that I just felt like I'm spinning my wheels. Like, what am I doing? You know? Um, And I really, the thing I loved about teaching was working with kids, just being with them they're so, you know, fun to be around, especially I was, I was in high school, uh, high school. So I was working with teenagers who I love, adore teenagers, um, which is, you know, I, some people think that's crazy, but I don't know why, because they're fabulous. <laughs> and these high schoolers, I felt like I could talk to them like peers, like I just, yeah. you know, and really, and, um, and I just loved just watching them l- learn things and, and understand things and wrestle with things. and. And that's why I wanted to be in, in teaching. I didn't want to be in teaching because I wanted to do lesson planning and behavior management and grading. And I didn't, you know, and assigning homework, that's not why I wanted to be in education. So, so I just started, it started my whole kind of um, self-reflection journey. And then for myself, one of the things I've learned about myself, um, you know, growing up in a conventional kind of education space, is there was so much about myself and my own desires, my own dreams, my own beliefs that I hadn't discovered yet because there was no space for that and it had to be, you know, pushed aside who who I was and what, you know, what I really felt passionate about wasn't something. It was you know when you're in high school you're like what's your favorite subject and that's the closest you get. That's the closest you get to figuring out what you who you're who you are and what you're about. And, um, you know, so I thought I knew because I knew I had a favorite subject and that's the direction I thought I wanted to go into. And it was completely it was not accurate at all. And so, um, you know, so there was a lot of unlearning for myself in my early 20s, mid 20s, really reflecting on what is this education thing that I thought I wanted to be in? I don't like this. And then discovering Summerhill and discovering um, that democratic uh, self-directed learning exists. It was completely new to me. I didn't learn about it until a master's degree. You know, in one class, in one article, it was like almost happenstance. You know, that I even learned that it existed. So it just, but it, but it opened the world for me, and and it really became a thing. Where once I, once I knew about it, read about it, researched it, I visited Summerhill. Was fabulous. Highly recommend. It just was, there was no going back. It was my point of no return. I could not put myself back into that conventional education space. And so then I was lost, you know, like I don't have a place. I don't have a career now because my, you know, we moved to Southern California and there was no option that I saw or where I could work that felt right to me. We started having children. And so I was like, well, we're going to be unschooling, I guess. I'm going to be a, you know, stay at home mom and I'm going to unschool my kids. And then um, there's some more, again, as far as my journey went, as far as like my own personal dreams and goals, I said, no, I want to work at a school like this. It doesn't exist in Orange County. So I guess I'm starting it.
0: As I spoke with Cassie, I was able to relate to this kind of shift in philosophy Because I, too, taught in a conventional schooling setting only to come to a similar realization that my own philosophy really didn't gel with the philosophy of schooling as I had experienced it. So it was really interesting to have also spoken with Megan and hear about her experience in traditional schools and hear what led Megan to discover self-directed learning.
2: I remember my first day in a public school, I'm introduced, I was an AIS teacher, so I provided academic intervention services, and and I pushed into other people's classrooms to teach literacy. And I'm sitting on the floor with a group of kindergartners introducing myself, and they're asking me all sorts of questions, and one of them is like, are you a grown-up? And I was like so happy you asked me that because <laughs> every other room I've been every other teacher sits in their rocking chair and like addresses the students in such this like authoritative way and I'm just on the floor with them having a conversation and I was like thank you yes please just don't see me as that <laughs> you know I absolutely want I love those questions are you a grown-up but we all need to in our lives and so the fact that I get to go to work and and do those things like there are some days where I'm just like really that was work that's just So much fun as being in public schools. I remember there were days, especially um, around testing times where I would leave work and be like, oh, my goodness, like, I feel like I should just go turn myself in for child abuse right now because You have five-year-olds taking standardized exams on computers when they haven't developed the fine motor skills to manipulate the trackpad, but that's what their placement is based off of, and then that's what the teacher's performance reviews are based off of, and that's what the school is judged on, and that impacts funding, and it's just like, how is that the cycle of our education system?
0: The way Megan and Cassie talk about their background is actually very similar to many conversations I've had with a lot of educators, similar to Megan and Cassie, who knew something wasn't quite right, and just weren't aware of the kinds of self-directed learning environments that existed outside of their own conventional school experience. But I'd like to shift focus a bit to how this element of philosophy overlaps with another element, norms and traditions. This element explores the behaviors we praise, which feed the kinds of traditions we value. We see this in how we place expectations on students and promote behaviors we believe are appropriate, resulting in norms or what are considered normal behaviors specific to the learning environment you're creating for your learners. This comes up in both my conversations with Cassie and Megan, and it became evident the kinds of expectations they both had for their learners and equally for themselves and their staff. They were starkly different than what I imagine when I think of my own conventional school experiences growing up. In fact, I specifically asked Cassie at the open school if students come to her wanting to learn in a more conventional way, wanting to learn more academically focused topics and how she approaches this desire for more conventional behaviors or norms in her self-directed learning environment.
1: It does happen. It doesn't happen as often as, you know, adults would hope it happens.
0: Um,
1: and because, and because, uh, you know, academics is, uh, academics and subjects are usually really divorced from real life. And our kids are really interested in real life projects, right? So, so they are interested in things, like I mentioned, like the, our student who's, who's doing um, the screenwriting and he, so he's teaching himself how to animate, how to do the score, how to do the writing, how to do voice acting, all of these things are integrated into that project. Um, and so he's learning you know, writing and composition, uh, but it's part of the greater you know, whole the thing is I don't know if you're familiar with Naomi Aldort she's a um she's an unschooling writer and I saw her um speak a few years ago and one of the things she talks about is is this disease that adults have called teacheria and it's just this desire as soon as a student as soon as a kid says something like "I, I might be interested in you know or like oh how many planets are there in the solar system that instead of just answering the question like there's nine or there's eight and maybe a dwarf you know whatever like there's just or that and moving on that will be like, well, so the sun is the center of the solar system. And then you have, and then we like become teachers and it's this disease, right? We have to like over explain until the point they're like, oh my gosh, I wish I had never asked you. So that's we have to fair. be really careful because that's, that's such a, it's such a impulse to want to jump on those things. And um, what happens is a student will say, you know, I want to do this project or, you know, I want to work on this thing. And our our first step is just to really understand what it is, what is their vision, you know, because uh, we had a kid who she wants to learn programming. Okay. Well, programming is a big, that's huge. I don't know what you mean by that. You know, like what what programming, What what direction are you thinking? And it took her a while to just really even have a vision at first. I, I'm not sure if she was just like, I just want to understand computers, but she just, so eventually she got to a place where she wanted to learn how to program a video game. And so she's been working with one of our staff members on a weekly basis for a year and a half and doing, and it's basically like she created the class in a way where she, and and they co-created it where he's like helping her to reach her goals. But sometimes the first step is just is getting them to really understand what their goals are. And we don't know, like I can't prescribe to her what her goals are. She has to grapple with that question and then come up with it. Um, and so, you know, sometimes students, especially when they come from a traditional background, they don't want to do that work. They really want to have the adult say, Oh, here's what you have to do. You know, here's the next step. Here's the next step. And, and, um, and it feels safer for them um, when they do that, but it's way more rewarding and meaningful when they come up with it.
0: Cassie's expectations for the kinds of behaviors or norms for students and staff really underscores this shift in what teaching and learning looks and feels like. I appreciated the way Cassie's explanation built on her beliefs, that philosophy element, which led her to start the open school in the first place. And when I spoke with Megan, the kinds of norms and traditions she described at Petals, it became clear that there's no checklist of norms that make a self-directed learning environment what it is, but that the way a philosophy influences norms makes it possible for an environment to adapt to the needs of the learners and facilitators in a way that intentionally shapes their self-directed learning environment. And this came up with Megan and how students coming from a conventional classroom have adapted to the kinds of norms and traditions that are practiced at her pedals learning environment.
2: I definitely think it's more powerful when the learners are reminding each other of things like that. Um, and when they when they first come in, if they've been in a traditional school setting, I feel like they're more likely to adhere to those operating procedures because that's what's been ingrained in them. Um, and so as they, as they learn that it's self-directed and that they don't need to participate in everything and that they have this choice, then I feel like it, it kind of everything sort of falls off for like, oh, I don't need to do anything. And it's like, well, no. And so it's kind of like this interesting curve of like, you know being spot on with everything and then it's like, I'm going to do nothing. And then it kind of finds its balance as they recognize um, how the other learners engage and participate in things.
0: The way Megan described this shift from conventional schooling reminded me of the concept behind unschooling. And so I asked Megan about this in context of the kinds of expectations which are being set for learners when they arrive there at Pedals.
2: We definitely want the learners to recognize the power that they hold and that as a democratic model, they have responsibilities. You know, you in a democracy, you have a lot of freedoms, but you have a lot of responsibility and recognize <laughs> that if you don't hold up those responsibilities, the community isn't successful. Um, and you mentioned the the choice of participating in that. And I think that that's huge. Um, reminding learners that they and their families made a choice to be a part of this community. And if you're going to be part of the community, that does mean living up to our agreements. And we have three very simple agreements that go along with the Agile Learning um, Center agreements of take care of yourself, take care of each other, and take care of your space. Um, and basically everything that we would ask them to do kind of falls into those categories. Um, and I think that helping them recognize that that responsibility is, one of the bigger jobs that we as mentors have. And it is really powerful to watch as they step into those leadership roles and as they recognize that it's their community and that if they don't make it what they want it to be, then it won't be what they want it to be.
0: This conversation with Megan actually brought up another element, the element of government, which looks at the hierarchy of decision-making in a group setting. And I'd like to point out again how interdependent these elements are, like how philosophy might influence norms and traditions, which might influence this government element, and that it's these elements that are helping us to reflect on the kind of environment we're creating for our learners. And so it wasn't surprising when this element came up in my conversation with Cassie, as we talked about how decisions are made at the open school
1: because we are a democratic school. So um, what that means is every student and staff member has a vote in the school. We um, discuss and vote on rules, um, how we spend our money, where we go on field trips, even hiring, firing staff, all of those things are done in a democratic um, process. And uh, what that means is the students are part of setting the rules for the school. It's their school. It's not its not the adults setting the rules and then getting the kids to abide by them, which is what a traditional model is and why in an authoritarian classroom, you have to worry about not only setting the rules, but also enforcing them. In our school, the democratic body of, of the entire school body uh, sets the rules. And then we have a process for um, enforcing the rules, which is also a peer justice system. And it's less like a judicial process, more like a mediation or problem solving process. But let's say so, you know, so somebody breaks one of the school rules, anybody can write a complaint about them, staff can be written up also. So, you know, we're under the same rules as students, we're not above them. And um, that, that write up goes to a, a, what we call civics board. And the civics board is made up of right now two students and one staff member. So it's always and it will always be more students than staff. Students will always outnumber staff. That's intentional. And uh, they process that complaint. So they investigate what happened, what was the story, were there any rules broken, and then the person who was if if there are rules broken, the person who was charged with breaking the rules decides do I agree or not. So they have a voice too. You don't just get told you broke the rule and now here's your punishment. That person gets to say yes, I think I did break this rule, which they usually do because they usually hear it. And they're like, yeah, I, I know I broke the rule or no, I don't think that's, I don't think I did break the rule. I think the rule means something different or, uh, you know, the way, whatever they they can make their case. And then, um, and then there's a process of sort of, we call it a resolution plan coming up. What's the, what's the solution to this? What's the next step? If you're the person that broke the rule, what do you, how do you want to respond to the situation? So, so it's kind of a, it's a collaborative process with everybody involved. This person who broke the rule is not just on the receiving end. They're part of the process too, Um, but it is their peers. So we're not in a situation where as an adult, and this is such a relief. It's an, it's like as an adult to be in the school, it's such a relief to not be like the police officer or the monitor who all I do is walk around tell people, you know, that's that you're breaking that rule, you're breaking that rule or you can't do that or whatever. Like, no, we all we're all responsible for our own behavior.
0: Having now looked at three of the seven elements of this framework, there's one more element I'd like to explore. This fourth element is an element called structural relationships and in my own opinion, might be the most important element because it's all about how we designate a power balance between ourselves and others. It looks at how we treat a person and how we expect that person to treat us. And this also has to do with whether we're talking about our own family relationships, our friendships, teacher-student relationships, and even strangers or larger social groups. Because unlike government that looks at who we want making certain decisions for a group, or philosophy that looks at the reasoning and rationale behind our beliefs, structural relationships looks at how we define a relationship in order for us to talk about how we might want to treat one person differently than we treat another, like how a person with a certain level of authority, like a parent or a teacher, might be treated differently than a friend or a casual acquaintance. This element came up when I asked Cassie about lesson planning and behavior management, two very common topics for teachers in conventional schooling who were trying to manage a group of students and maintain a certain amount of order and control over the learning happening in their classroom. Well, I asked how she addresses that kind of structural relationship between herself and the learners at the open school.
1: You know, it's interesting that you said that that there's there's a love there's an element of of lesson planning in what we do because it's certainly not how I think about it. But I think you know, it's my relationship with the students at the school are just much more. uh, It's more equitable. It's more like the relationship I would have with a friend in some. You know, like. I'm developing, I'm getting to know who they are. You know, I just am curious as a human being, I'm not trying to manipulate learning. I'm not trying to create situations to try to, you know, coerce them to want to do, you know, something that I think is valuable. It's 100% about them. So but sometimes there's a brainstorming element involved. I see that especially with some of our younger teenagers or mid-teenagers where they're really starting to like delve into what are things that I really enjoy, what bring, what sparks me, what brings me alive. And, and, um, you know, I, one of my students who's been at the school for four years. And so I've seen her grown up, grow up and you know, we were, we're having conversations right now about, um, she's super interested in interior design. She has a, she's 14. So she, and she has a Instagram art business that she sells art on her Instagram. She, yeah, she's done all these kinds of business things, but she's also, so she's going to be giving me an interior, which you can see, I need it, an interior design. But she, you know, she's like really, so there's that where we're just having a conversation about what are her goals and what's her interests and what's she into right now? Similar that you would have with anyone that you're getting to know, not because I'm the adult and you're the kid and you have to tell me things, but just because I'm curious about you as a person. And so then, you know, she's, um, we're like naturally talking about like, the things on my walls and then saying like oh, would you you know could you give me like could you do this are you interested in doing like interior design stuff and she's like yeah that would be fabulous and like she's you know like send me your Pinterest boards and you know so that's like where if there's any lesson you know that idea came organically from a conversation with her and from me knowing her well um as I've been with her for a while and Most of our kids, I mean, they're coming up with things for themselves to do. And if I do, if I do any kind of suggestions, I'm getting in their way, you know, I'm really like slowing them down by suggesting things because they're like, no, I already know. I'm like, I'm on this track. And, um, and they really are the ones asking me for support or for like, you know, like advisory kind of almost like an advisory role where they're like, I'm doing this thing. What do you think? Or like, how would this, you know, I have a student who's doing a screenplay for, he's like doing a whole animated series and he it's set in a school so he'll like use me as an advisor like what would what would the school do if this happened like something how ha- you know this thing happened in his uh in his series and how would how would I react to it because he has a character based on me so he wants to get you know like so so that's kind of how you know um lesson planning if that you know if you have if you have to think of it in any sense it works that way it's just organically arising from relationship and then the behavior management so that's that's a whole interesting other thing that does set us apart from unschooling so our school and we do have the word school in our name and but I do you know it's school in the sense that it's a gathering of people like we're all kind of headed the same direction. We're supporting each other in those, those ways. But we're not, um, we're not a school in any kind of, you know, conventional sense. I, I definitely tell people who are newish to the idea who are contacting me about maybe admissions, when you think you almost have to pretend like you're an alien from another planet. You've never heard the word school before. It's completely, you know, you you have to throw anything to do with school classes, tests, teachers, all of those things, they don't exist in our, in our school. So the word school can be problematic because people bring their own assumptions to what that means. I love
0: that. I I love that metaphor of an, an alien visiting the planet as, you know, and it being a child and you having to show it everything.
1: Right. And, and the, and the idea that like, if if we were just to scrap this whole system that we have and just start fresh with like, what how do people learn? What's the best way to do this? We would not end up with a system we have right now. You know, we would end up with something like self-directed learning because you're like, how do people, how do we learn? How do we do things? Oh, oh, it's like this. We have interests, we ask questions, we follow those questions, you know.
0: Structural relationships also came up in my conversation with Megan as she described the meaning of the name PETALS, which is an acronym for Play, Earth, Tinkering, Art, Language, and Strength. As she spoke about the Earth aspect of her learning community, it sparked an interesting conversation about behavior and how they manage relationships in their mostly outdoor environment.
2: As far as management goes, if you will, behavior management, being outside and connecting with nature, um, I've just Mm -hmm. found so, so critical to learners just feeling comfortable in their skin, being able to run around, um, connect with nature. We have a really uh, special setup where we are mostly outside um, in a yard, but we have a yurt space and we also have mountains with trails all around us. So we encourage the kids to to go on hikes, um, all self, self-led. We have walkie talkies so that they can go more independently but still communicate with us and make sure everybody's being safe and they're sticking together. Um, we had a survival specialist who's come in and joined us a few times to help teach the kids the critical survival components and um, how to track animals, what to look for in the woods. We've been getting lately into a little bit of um, knife throwing and whittling and some, some cool survival stuff like that, which has been, um, Initially, you know, coming from public school background, I'm like, wait, wait, wait. You want us to throw knives in the yard? <laughs> but <laughs> but it's been awesome. It's so cool and getting to talk to the learners um, about them as about knives as tools um, and understanding all the safety precautions around them. And it's amazing how even the youngest of learners, just their maturity, you can just see them step up and recognize. Okay, I'm about to do something that has a risk to it. And I better listen. I better pay attention. And that is incredible to see that focus in such a self-directed way that it's not like you need to sit down and listen now, but it's like, oh man, like I better listen. There are knives flying.
0: It was really fascinating how Megan described this earth component of her petal's name. And it led me to ask Megan about her thoughts on how she works in academics and social emotional competencies into the relationships that grow there at Petals?
2: I almost would say the foundation is more play and that the academics and the SEL come through that Um, because just so much arises naturally when learners are just fulfilling what they enjoy. Um, So, whether they're reading together and somebody pulls the book away or if they're um, playing a game and somebody loses and their feelings get hurt or somebody gets shoved in a soccer game. It's just such natural opportunities to to step in and, and help them to recognize what happened and to use um, some nonviolent communication type language. You know, I felt blank when you blank, um, you know, and just putting that out there to, to help them put words to it. Um, and then also to help the the person who, who wronged them to understand um, why their actions could upset somebody. Or um, sometimes it's just as simple as, as bodily awareness, you know, when they're five, six years old and they're running around and it really, they don't recognize necessarily where their body's flying when they're going. So um, that emotional awareness, but also that physical awareness of, of their body and of their space. Um, and I think that play is just a, an incredible vehicle for for all of that.
0: I also asked how Megan balances how much the students decide what to learn, when to learn, how to learn, versus how often she and the other mentors at Pedals decide what, when, and how learning happens.
2: I think it's probably more so them than us. Um, We have a pond in our yard. So over the summer, they were really interested in playing in the pond. Well, there's a bunch of tadpoles and fish in the pond. So naturally, I'm going to break out a lesson on life cycles. And we're going to talk about all different types of cycles. And um, each student has a journal. And um, I'll often just place them out when we're having conversations like that and encourage, do you want to draw about this? Do you want to write about it? And there are some who are like, absolutely not. And there are others who will take their journal and sit with it for an hour um often even if somebody's just drawing um trying to you know build in touch base and build in something academic so it's like okay you do a picture of the beach well let's go ahead and label that beach so you know i hear but what letter makes the bus sound then i hear an e okay e and at that point you know you're five six years old the vowel patterns are not developmentally appropriate at this point if you hear the e and you write the e we're good and then it's like ch- well, that's kind of a, that's a different sound, but because having the mixed ages is just so invaluable, inevitably you have an older learner who's like, oh, that's CH. And so they're getting to have that um, authority and they're getting to be the leader in that sense, teaching the little that, that sound, that digraph, um, And at the same time, the, the little gets to feel empowered that they're able to, to write the word to, that goes with what they were caring about. A lot of that happens very naturally. Um, I think the things that I tend to plan more are often um, have to do with literature or or experiments. Um, A lot of times I'll do a read aloud and then have some type of activity that goes with it. And the success, not the success, but the participation in that always varies. There are some learners who absolutely love to hear stories, but as soon as you mention the activity, they're like, okay, I'm done now. Um, And there are others who are like, not really into the story, but they're like, okay, we're going to do an art project or we're going to build something like, cool. I read this book over the summer about these. Uh, little, little pigs that become pirates. They're little brothers and they're at the beach and they turn into pirates. I gave them a tinkering challenge. I was like, all right, can you build a pirate ship? And in my mind, I'm picturing cardboard and paper ships well we've got all this wood and all of a sudden next thing i know learners are tying um are screwing boards together and making rafts and other learners taking reeds out of the trees and wrapping them together and building little flotation devices and i'm just like blown away by their creativity and so the fact that there is no limit is awesome because i can present an offering and in my mind i'm like okay this is what we're doing and they're like no this is what we're doing and that is that's awesome
0: after speaking with megan and cassie There's something about exploring these core elements of this framework, this layer of elements that define a learning environment that I really want to highlight because whether you're in an indoor or outdoor or an unschooling or conventional school setting, these elements will be present in some form or fashion. And by reflecting on these elements, you not only clarify your own vision for the learning environment you want to create but also how you might need to adapt one element or another to accomplish that vision. It also highlights how adjusting one element might require other elements also be recalibrated to some degree. Now, it's important to keep in mind that this kind of intention is not always a simple process. Change rarely is. And it can take time for this kind of conversation to take shape. But that doesn't mean we can't untangle and interpret these elements over time to innovate and improve the learning environment we create, not just for our learners, but for ourselves. Well, you can learn more about Megan Greco and the Petals Learning Community through their website, PetalsLearningCommunity.org. You can also learn more about Cassie Clausen at The Open School through her own school's website at openschooloc.com. Now, as I bring this third episode to a close, I want to once again revisit this second season's introductory episode, where I talk about capturing a rainbow. This framework of elements is not in itself an exploration for who we are and how we learn. The topics and all of the people throughout this second season are all part of the environment responsible for this rainbow that is who we are and how we learn. So the question to ask is not how this episode is solely responsible for who we are and how we learn, but how the ideas presented connect with the ideas in the other episodes to come to such a conclusion that is meaningful to you, your community and the bigger goals you have that you want to share with your community, both big and small. So I hope you're enjoying this second season, and I thank you for listening. Talk to you next time.